and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around. We talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good things. Join me, of course, over here is Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, writer, director, and producer, sitting back there. He is a creator, inventor, artist, philanthropist, playboy. Ray Ora, sitting beside him, <laughs> running our show today in that uh, L.A. Dodgers cap. We got Jonathan Boyko, Taylor Gonzalez, fresh off of getting his poo, blood, and honey tickets. He's yeah. very excited about poo that. Time. <laughs> uh, coming. And most importantly, of course, you guys are here. Thanks a lot for being here today, guys. Uh, we got a whole ton of stuff to talk about here today. We're going to be talking about that Fred Astaire movie, Velma, is getting a new season. Henry Cavill's got a new movie lined up for 2024. Theatrical proves again that it rules as king. The Ministry of Ungentlemanly, Ungentlemanly Warfare, by the way, is the name of that Henry Cavill movie that we're going to be doing. John Wick 4 runtime. Ant-Man gets its Rotten, to Rotten Tomatoes critic scores. Doesn't look fantastic. That and a whole bunch more. We're glad you guys are here to join us today. All right. We're not going to waste any time here, guys. We're going to jump right into it. But before we do, I want to remind you that uh, we were going to do our Last of Us open spoiler discussion yesterday, but I decided as we got close to time, it'd be better if I didn't have to do it alone. So we're going to do our Last of Us episode five open spoiler discussion after show today. That'll be at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time. We hope you guys will join us for that. All right. With that down, let's start things off here with a couple of off the tops, and we're going to start off with this one. You know, when Ted Lasso first announced that it was coming out and they saw the trailers for it, I, like a lot of people, thought, huh, really? You're going to do an entire TV series based on a nine-year-old fake commercial or a sketchy ESPN skit, and you're going to base an entire show on that? Okay. And then it came out, and it got some great reviews. So I decided to sit down, watch the first episode, and I thought the first episode was okay. That was all right. Didn't know if I was going to keep watching it or not. But my wife really liked it, and she said, let's give it a couple more episodes. And I'm so glad she did, because it is simply one of the best things on TV. It, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. And then we got through season two, and I found my new all-time most hated television villain ever in Nate. Nate needs to die. I'm going to make shirts. They're going to sell out. Nate needs to die. A horrible, vicious, violent death. That being said, so we get to the end of season two, and we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for season three. Well, Apple TV Plus has now dropped their first little teaser trailer for Ted Lasso season three, and we found out a few things as well. We got a premiere date. It's opening one month from tomorrow, March 15th is when Ted Lasso episode or season three debuts one month from tomorrow. That's going to be March 15th. The season is going to have 12 episodes. So we're going to have a 12-episode season. Now, also, one of the things that was missing from this report that I didn't see is whether or not this is officially the final season. Because there has been a lot of talk about that. They plan for three. They're just going to do three. But we haven't heard any official confirmation. Maybe it's something they're still considering doing a fourth season or not. I certainly hope that they do. But we'll see how season four goes. Anyway, the trailer drops, and I, and I watched it, and it's not much. I was a little bit disappointed at first because it doesn't actually show you anything from the new season. But it's just kind of like this teaser of all the main characters putting together their own little versions of a poster that say Believe. 
which is, of course, what Coach Lasso is always telling them. And then Coach Lasso and Coach Beard come into the office or come into the, the, the change room and all the Believe posters are up, right? And when it got to the end of that trailer, while I was disappointed at first, I realized, Rob, that this trailer is the actual embodiment of why this is one of the best shows on TV. Because unlike, listen, my favorite show on TV right now is Last of Us. My second favorite show on TV right now is Yellowstone. Uh, my third favorite show on TV right now might be either Harley Quinn, Succession, whatever. One of the things all these shows have a problem with, not including Ted Lasso, it's a kind of dark, it can show the worst of us. It, uh, it, they're, they're very violent. Uh, they're sometimes terrifying. They sometimes, again, they expose and show the worst in humanity and all that kind of stuff. And they're great shows. I love them. <laughs> I do. They're great. They're fantastic. But this trailer embodies what Ted Lasso is all about. And why I think people have responded so well to Ted Lasso. It's just about the good in people. It, 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 in a world where you don't realize how much we miss that in our entertainment until something like Ted Lasso comes along and it's just highlighting the potential for goodness in people right up until Nate's big turn. There's not even a villain in this show. It's all just about all these people facing the challenges that we as individuals face. I mean, yeah, you can say the club owner's ex-husband is a little bit of a foil, but he's hardly in the show. He might play a little bit of a bigger role in season three. But I'm watching this trailer, and they're all putting up this, these signs of believe, and you just feel your spiritualizes. You can feel the joy probably Ted feels walking in there, and I realize that's what this whole show is. This whole show is about, oh, I love that picture. This whole show is about, you know, looking at the best in ourselves, looking at the best in the people around us, believing in the best in people around us. And... It just reminded me how much I actually miss this show being on. Because like at the end of The Last of Us, I'm like, oh, like I'm shaking the show so good and everything. But at the end of every episode of Ted Lasso, even their harder ones, my heart is smiling, you know? Yeah. And so while I was a little disappointed in this trailer first that we weren't actually seeing any footage from the season, by the time the trailer was over, I'm like, I get it. I get it. They were reminding us of why we love this show. Anyway, Rob, uh, you saw the new trailer come out, some of the new announcements. Are you a big Ted Lasso fan? And yeah. what do you think about the teaser? I mean, I enjoy Ted Lasso a lot. You know, it's funny when I first, I started watching it because of you, you, you were talking about it. And then Elizabeth was watching it. And at first I was a little perplexed. I'm like, what is this show? Like I didn't, it took me a few episodes. I'm like, okay, as you're, I keep, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, like something I don't know if I thought an asteroid was going to hit the field or whatever, but it's such a delightful show. I was saying I thought, you know, I liked the first season a little better than the second season only because it was so new. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. so there was the novelty of something new, but I still thought the second season was quite good. And this trailer, like you said, I like when they do advertising, when they, I've always liked trailers that were unto themselves, like when they do teaser trailers that are only, they're, they're concept trailers. They're not, you don't see clips. And I love this. I thought this was great. And like you said, it I, there's an emotional response at the end of this trailer. Yeah, you know, and and that's to instill an emotional response in anyone is tough. And this did that. In, what it's less than two minutes, I think. Two minutes. Oh yeah. You know, you look at it and you you like you said, you're smiling. And I also find it interesting that if you look at Ted Lasso and uh, counterpoint it 
or not counterpoint. It's on the kind of the same side of the field as Welcome to Wrexham. It's a really interesting look because we as Americans don't understand the culture of football in Europe and in in places like uh, South America because it's huge. Oh yeah, yeah. football is huge. It's and the biggest sport in the world. Yeah, and it's outside much, of North America. Yes, they but even think, they even referenced in season two. They referenced Wrexham in Ted Lasso. Yes, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. they mentioned him and and Wrexham. Huh. Okay. And and I think that I think both of these shows have given us at least American audiences insight into one's obviously fictional and the other is, is real, but insight into, a, I think an important cultural, um, uh, it gives us a cultural understanding that we don't get here on a daily basis. What, what uh, football means to not just as a sport, but as a lifestyle, as a culture, as a historical thing. I mean, it's, it's, it, it means so much. I mean, I think football means a lot to us here, but not like it does there. And if, I mean, there's a Matt Damon clip when he's doing hot ones where he's talking about going to a f- soccer game or football game in Argentina. And it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, question is for you. Have you seen the new trailer for Ted Lasso season three? If so, what did you think about it? Are you excited for the new season? Are you a fan or do you watch the show at all? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into a second off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. We've known for a little while now that there is a, there's actually a couple of Fred Astaire movies coming. One with Tom Holland, which is the one we're going to focus more on right now. But there's another one with Jamie Bell uh, coming out at the same time. But we've been looking at this one with Tom Holland, Spider-Man, who is, of course, he's a song and dance man, Tom Holland. One of the greatest YouTube clips you will ever watch is... Tom, I almost said Tom Arnold. Uh, Tom Holland. <laughs> That's a different. That would be a different video altogether. <laughs> is Tom Holland dressed in black lingerie dancing to Rihanna's umbrella? It is one of the best video clips you can watch on YouTube. If you have not seen it, you should go find it. But anyway, he's going to be starring in this Fred Astaire thing, and we now have a director, according to reports. Paddington director Paul King has been tapped. He will be directing the new Fred Astaire movie with Tom Holland. But what's also interesting about this is who the writer is. The writer is Lee Hall. Now, he's an Oscar-nominated writer. He wrote War Horse, which he got nominated for an Academy Award for. He wrote the Elton John biopic Rocket Man, which was terrific. But what's really notable here is he wrote Billy Elliot. And if I'm not mistaken, did Tom Holland not star in a stage production of Billy Elliot. Here's the other interesting thing. The other Fred Astaire movie stars Jamie Bell, who starred in Billy Elliot. So you got a little bit of a connection there with Lee Hall, Paul King. I think that's really fascinating. Look, I'm not going to pretend that I'm super excited for this movie. But you, you add a Tom Holland, who I think is a terrific performer. Even when he's in poor movies, I think he's pretty good. I love the Paddington movies. I <laughs> think you make a third one, and it, if it's on par with the other two, it's one of the greatest trilogies of all time. I'll fight for that. Um, I love that. You got an Academy Award winning writer. All the pieces are there. So while on its surface, I'm not super looking forward to a Fred Astaire biopic per se, I got to tell you, man, the pieces of the puzzle they're putting together to make this movie make me at least a little bit curious to see how this will turn out. And then let's not forget there's another one coming too. But for now, we're focused on this one. Rob, you heard about this news. What do you think about Paul King directing this Fred Astaire movie? Well, first of all, I'm a 
Fred Astaire fan. I mean, Swing Time. I remember getting it on Laserdisc, like in the you know eighty five or something. I I love Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. So they did like ten movies together. Yeah, and I, I, I so I'm deliriously excited about this. It's interesting. Like, why did these two? It's not like Fred Astaire hasn't been around for a long time because he hasn't. Like, why now? I always wonder, like, how do these dual projects, how did Armageddon and Deep Impact happen? But now we're getting two Fred Astaire movies. And I'm like, great, bring it on. But now there's competition. Which one's going to be better? But the talent involved in all both of them are great. I mean, I'm sure they'll both be good. Maybe they'll focus on different areas of his life. I don't know. But um, maybe one's going to be more like Rocket Man, where it's kind of a phantasmagoria You'll have musical numbers and dance numbers recreated from the films they were in. But I, John, I, I'm, I'm sure half our audience is like, who's Fred Astaire? But, um, <laughs> and that's, that, that, that's not a slam. I mean, Fred Astaire was from the golden age of Hollywood. There's not a lot of reason anybody would know him because, I mean, he was at what, in Ghost Story in 1980? You know, and uh, he's also in A Christmas, one of my favorite Christmas specials, um, as an animated character in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Well, and wow! That, I didn't even realize. Yeah, that. he's he's the the narrator, but he's he's the the best. I can't wait. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Tom Holland's Fred Astaire biopic now has a director, a great one in uh, Paul King, having done the Paddington films. They've got an Academy Award nominated writer writing it as well. Are you looking forward to this at all? Maybe it holds no interest for you. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down. Let's move on to a third off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. You know, there's not a lot of animated shows. I would dare say this. I cannot remember the last animated show. And I'll include in this Arcane. I'll include in this Harley Quinn. I'll include in this anything. I can't remember a show getting more talk about it than the current HBO series Velma. (laughs) I mean, everybody just wants to talk about it. It's just been talked about all over the place, left, right, and center, up, down, everywhere, which way you can look. And it's got some of the worst scathing reviews I've I've seen. Now, actually, the actual critic rating on it is is low, but it's not all that low. It's like in the 40s, right? It's in the 40%. So not quite, but close to half of critics think it's okay, but still low score. I saw like one and a half episodes. Maybe I finished the second one. I'm not sure. And I'll say, I'll give a hot take. I don't think it's that bad. It's not good. <laughs> like, don't, don't misinterpret me. It's not good. It is desperate. It's a show that is desperately trying to be Harley Quinn. Right. It, it, like it is desperately trying to mimic and be Harley Quinn. It's just that. It tries a little bit too hard. I mean, and I I like the idea. Like some people go, oh, it's not really like Scooby. Who gives a fuck? This show is is meant to be a satire, not of Scooby Doo. This show is meant to be a satire of adult animation. It's meant to be a satire of itself. And again, I don't think it's good, but I don't think it's a, the ultimate train wreck that some people are making out to be. That being said, the one thing that you cannot deny about it is, holy crap. A lot of people watch it sure, because it has been a ratings darling for HBO Max, so much so that HBO Max has decided to give this thing a second season. And now it's not the official green light, but they have already put the second season into development. Of course, and we'll be don't forget to check <laughs> right here. Don't forget to check our Velma after show wow. 24 hour marathon. It was Velma a long one. Same I want to thank you for day. the super chats on that show. Yeah, that was so much. remarkable a message in that magnifying glass. So 
but here's the thing. They are, they are greenlighting it. This is what they say. Uh, this comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant. They said the following. Though Velma has been the subject of controversy, thanks to its dark premise, distinct characterization, and mixed responses to its sense of humor, it has proven remarkably successful for HBO. Velma has officially become HBO Max's most-watched animated original show, which is a remarkable feat. From the day it launched, the show has been uh, bringing in huge numbers to HBO Max, which is a major reason for its rise. Now, some people... And I, am, I understand why, because I, I, I get it. Some people will rush to say, well, that's because people just tune in to see just how bad it was. Except for these streaming services, they count their ratings of watch time. They don't count their ratings for how many people just clicked on it for a few minutes to see how bad it was. They click on it for watch time. Now, I am not ever planning to go back to watch more Velma. <laughs> to me, Again, I didn't think it was a total car wreck, but I didn't think it was good. So that's... None of those numbers are going to be from me. But a lot of people are watching it. And they're watching it and then watching another episode and then watching another episode. And you can say all you want. Well, it's only because they're, they're, they're hate watching it or they're, okay, sure. I'm sure there are some people that, that do that. Not a lot of people do that for any show they actively hate. I, I mean, other than you and uh, what's that damn airplane show? Manifest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the first. You're the first person I knew who would use the term "hate watch." You, I think you introduced me to the term. It's a glorious gobbledygook-filled <laughs> show that I dearly love. So, I mean, it's fascinating to me to see the the amount of vitriol this show gets. And again, I'm not a fan, but still, but yet when the cold hard numbers come in. It's like, you know what? A lot of people are watching. This isn't like a Sony Morbius thing where they just saw a meme of Morbius thought, well, right. hey, let's re-release this in theaters. No, no, these, this is actually based on real numbers. I don't know. Rob, I'm kind of shocked to hear that they're going <laughs> to do another season of this, but I guess with the numbers that they're there to support, I don't know. What do you think about this? Well, I mean, I think, look, I, I was not a fan of the show, and I understand <laughs> what they were trying to do with it, but I think that there's, I do think that there's something about it that, connects with our modern age today i mean it there there's a lot of things in it that you can point to and go mm, th this this goes right along the lines with a lot of the politics that are being played out on our in the public sphere and it is it is it's mean-spirited and nasty and it's got base humor in it all the things people love and so i mean look the first episode had a a, a fight with naked chicks in a locker room yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm just like, really? You know, okay. But if I remember that that's because that's in the first episode. Yeah, I it's saw the first episode. It. But I remember thinking like in that scene, I actually, th that was the start of the show. Yeah. And I actually, for the first few minutes, felt some hope for the show because that whole scene was about commentary on how other shows treat. It's like all the studies show that girls making out yeah. brings in ratings. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so I thought if they can, if they can do this type of commentary on modern pop media and all that kind of, this could be good, but then it got really desperate after uh, yeah i think that it 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 didn't rise above what it was doing whereas i think harley quinn does absolutely yeah you know and and i think that that it it smacks of like there was a i don't know why this stuck out to me but i think in the first episode there's a joke about coachella tickets and I, that joke i'm like okay no one's going to get that joke, and I understand why you put it in there to show. It's it, to me, it was a show where if I have to feel how clever the writer, how the writers think they're very clever, and they're working really hard in this show, I feel that 
watching Velma. I don't feel that watching Harley Quinn. The jokes in Harley Quinn are really clever. They come fast and furious. And, I'm and it constantly, feels like they come easy. Easy. Yeah. This show was a chore to watch. It's like, I wanted to say half the time, slow your roll and just tell me your story. I am tired of you explaining to me how cool you all are in the writer's room. But you it know, really it's, annoyed it's me. It's funny, but you bring up that point that I think is so, so accurate here because I feel like, you know, we talk about how winning cures everything. I think if it felt as easy and if it was as effective and as funny as Harley Quinn, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say that you're trying to be cool, but because it it's, does not come across as easily and organic and as no. flowing as Harley Quinn does, and the jokes don't land nearly as well as the one that Harley Quinn does, then it's just like, kids, you're trying too hard. I, I mean, and it's just... I mean, you, that's a really interesting point. I mean... If I'm feeling, and I feel this not just about Velma, I feel this about other kinds of shows. If I'm watching a show and I feel that the writers are taking the position that we're, we're better than our audience, you know, and that happens, I think, a lot more and more in TV. You can feel it. And it's hard to explain what that is. Velma was, uh, it was by the end of the first episode, I'm like, I am out. I, I, maybe it's because I'm an ancient fossil <laughs> of a man. They made for a know. really weird 24-hour marathon. Yeah, I did my 24-hour marathon. <laughs> I was out, and people were like, this, Rob, clearly this show isn't for you. you know, <laughs> yeah. Great entertainment should be for everybody. Well, I mean, but it's true. Even great entertainment's not going to be for everybody, because, like, I, I love, you and I both really appreciate Harley Quinn. I, I love Harley Quinn, right? Now, have you seen the Valentine's Day special yet? Not yet. Okay, so, so here's the thing. As much as I love the holiday special, Bane, a a 200-foot-tall Bane with a raging hard-on destroying buildings by humping them, <laughs> to me, Too far. is glorious. Oh. But <laughs> to some people, it's not going to be for everybody. Sure. Like Bane grabbing the Gotham City building, grabbing and then bringing the building down. Not for everybody. We had a picture of Roy Kent up there a second ago from Ted Lasso. What's the actor's name again? Brent. Oh, the guy who's playing her. I know. I knew it until you asked me. <laughs> but like the character who plays the, the actor who plays Roy Kent, he's in the as himself. He is in the the Valentine's Day special of Harley Quinn, and they Goldstein. <laughs> What's that? Brett Goldstein. Goldstein. That's it. And they do some stuff with him. It's just ridiculous and ludicrous. <laughs> but it's not for everybody. Like yeah, you yeah. can have stuff that's not for everybody. That's totally fine. But again, I I just I look at Velma, and all I can see. And maybe it's just me. All I can see is somebody who is desperately trying to mimic Harley Quinn. Right. Just not nearly as good at it. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. But hey, guys, a lot of people are watching it. It looks like they're developing season two. What do you think about that? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys. With all that down, let's move on now to our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you're still paying insane amounts of money every month on your wireless plan, it's time to switch to Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Order today at mintmobile.com slash campia. Now, brand new Flash trailer came out, and we got a question coming in on the hotline today about somebody wondering if maybe we could see Henry Cavill in it. Hey, John and crew. This is Trinell Dumas from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Quick question. We've seen the new Flash trailer, and what are the – all I'm asking is, what are the chances we see Henry Cavill in the new Flash movie? 
because Flash was filmed prior to the new James Gunn camp. So that's all. Thanks, guys, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks for sending that intro. Now, look, I everybody knows I'm a huge, I'm a huge fanboy of, of Henry Cavill. I, I, he's my favorite Superman of all time. I lament that he's not going to be our Superman anymore. Um, I kind of wish he was, but I get it. I get it. they're moving on, and that's okay. Henry Henry Zuniga, he's got his Warhammer 40K. He's got that new Guy Ritchie movie coming out. He's going to be just fine. But what could the chances be that we get a, a cameo of Henry Cavill in The Flash? Trinell brings up a very, very good point. We have to remember that this Flash movie was not shot last week. This Flash movie, the vast majority of it, was shot in the plural years ago. Years ago. I still remember early in the pandemic days, like Anne, ourself, our buddy Soul, were sitting down at a, in, in an outdoor cafe because you couldn't sit inside because of the pandemic. Outdoor cafe and watching a little bit of DC fandom years ago. And them showing some a little uh, teaser, tease of this and that of the Flash that they were currently shooting. I mean, this, this was something that was shot years ago. So could Henry Cavill have made an appearance? I might surprise you. I'm going to give it a legit coin flip on this that he could. I'm going to say straight up 50%. And here's why I think there is a legitimate chance he could. Number one, again, because of what was pointed out, this thing was shot years ago when he was still in the camp, right? Number two, they are clearly doing cameos in this thing. So that one goes along. Number three... We are getting scenes and shots in the current DC world because we've got Ben Affleck's Batman there. And of course, Henry Superman is in there somewhere. We have General Zod. So at some point there being, again, I don't believe Henry Cavill will play any role in this movie, but maybe a quick cameo. It could make sense that a moment may, maybe Kara meets her cousin just somebody I'd love to introduce you to. Like even like near the end of the movie and, and I don't know, what, whatever. Look, there are also good arguments against it happening, but because of all that, in particular the time frame, I'm going to give it a straight up 50-50 shot on this, Rob. I will not be surprised either way. But anyway, Rob, it's a great question. What do you think the chances are and why for a Henry Cavill possible cameo in the Flash movie? Well, I just watching the trailer, I mean, watching the world engine destroying Metropolis. And I know that, that you hear the Flash say, I've created a world without metahumans. So maybe there was no Superman there to protect Metropolis from the onslaught. And in this world, the Kryptonians conquered the world, which I could see happening in a Flashpoint movie, which is very cool. On the other hand, what would also be very cool is however they're using this Flashpoint movie to move into the new DCEU, I could see, maybe it was a reshoot or something, the climactic moment where the universe is put back to whatever the universe is, and you see Henry Cavill's Superman. And I'm not, by the way, I have no knowledge. I'm making this up. Like the comic book fan in me is seeing that a la Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Henry Cavill Superman does something really heroic just as reality is changing and we actually see him wiped out of existence mm. setting the table because that would be dope <laughs> i mean i would be like you know he does he saves the world you know literally and, and the wave of 
unreality or whatever washes over him, like in Crisis on Infinite Earths when the wave took out each Earth. And we watch him erase from existence, you know, so he's given a goodbye. I would love that. You know, I mean, they did it. They put him in the end of Black Adam. Maybe at the same time, they're like, you know what? But then he would have known this. We would have known. Somebody would have said, he would have said, I'm not coming back. By the way, there there are some people in the live chat, and I should point this out. And please, anybody in the room or otherwise, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's some people saying, hey, it was in the news that Cavill and uh, Gal Gadot's uh, cameos were removed. No, it wasn't in the news. (laughs) There there were from a number of Gus's gas station reviews dot fart kind of outlets that were reporting that, but none of the real news outlets said that. Uh, There's a pop figure of Wonder Woman from the movie. Oh, is there? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, along with Kaora and Zod. Yeah, I I, I know about this. I don't know if there was a pop figure from The Flash of Superman, though. Yeah, and by the way, he may have never been in the first place. I'm I'm not pretending that I have any of the answers. I do not. I have none of the... I'm speculating like everybody. But I would go like a straight-up 50-50 chance that that maybe we could. And I'll tell you what, it would get a pretty good pop out of the audience. I mean, just listening to James Gunn wax rhapsodic about this movie, calling it one of the greatest comic book movies ever. And like you said, it was made not under his regime, so he's got no... Yeah, he can take no credit for this movie. No, he can't take any credit in the fact that he's singing its praises with everything that's surrounded it and where they're moving into the new DC. Because what happens normally when a new regime comes in? They talk crap about the previous they regime. They divest themselves. Right? They, 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 they start talking crap about how they ruined everything, blah, blah, blah. But in comes James Gunn. He's like, yeah, that movie that was made on somebody else's watch, one of the best I've ever seen. I, I think that says something. Now, whether we'll think that or not, we'll have to wait and see, but they're off to a good start with the great trailer. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Do you think there is a chance that Henry Cavill, my personal favorite Superman of all time, could possibly making a cameo in The Flash? Maybe yes, maybe no. Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's not something they would do? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, we're going to move into our main topics here. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second and thank a couple of the sponsors of today's episode of The John Campia Show, our friends at ExpressVPN and BetterHelp. Guys, we want to take a second and thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy, but choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in, and I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market, and here's why. Number one, ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed a technology, Trusted Server, that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. Number two, speed. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. You don't need any technical skills to get set up. Just fire up the app and tap one button to connect. That's it. Even your grandparents could do it. And it's not just me saying this. CNET, Business Insider, The Verge, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with a VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash campia today, and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, 
BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you know you can. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you because when you're feeling at your best, the challenges that life throws at you don't disappear, but you're more prepared to take on those challenges. Guys, you know I've been saying for a long time that we need to start prioritizing our mental health as much as we do our physical health. When we dedicate ourselves to going to the gym and looking after ourselves, we we see that as a great step forward for us physically. Well, it's time for us to start taking care of ourselves mentally as well. So if you're feeling it's time to give therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com campia today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Campia. And thank you to ExpressVPN and BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down to the description of this video, right at the top, you'll find links and promo codes to all of today's sponsors. And again, thank you to ExpressVPN and BetterHelp. All right, guys, with that down, Let's keep on moving here with our first main topic today, shall we? And that one is this. Now, ever since the pandemic, I mean, it's been around for a while, but particularly when the pandemic popped up, the whole debate and discussion about what's the better avenue for a movie, theatrical or streaming? And for a bit there, especially in the pandemic with everybody being stuck at home, a lot of people started saying streaming. Streaming is now king. Theatrical is dead. Streaming is now king. And I get, I get it. I mean, everybody was at home. They needed stuff to do. I mean, they saw a huge search as online shopping things like Amazon started to blow up. You started seeing a lot of, you know, uh, Zoom stock for stuff like t Microsoft meetings and Zoom all blew up, of course. And of course, streaming blew up. You know, a lot of people were saying, though, through all that, listen, at the end of the day, it's still theatrical. And what we've been seeing happen lately is that even big streaming Companies like Disney Plus and Netflix, they're discovering, we just saw it happen with uh, Glass Onion too, yep. that, hey, you know what? We get some pretty decent streaming numbers on our original movies. Huh, but look at that. Our most streamed movies are the ones we put in theaters first and make a little bit of money. And now the VOD reports of this week have come out and it's really driven that home because according to the reports that are out there now, when you look at movies like the topping the charts of Plane, the new Gerard Butler movie that they just announced is getting a sequel called Ship. <laughs> um, I can't make this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. I am not that good of a writer. But anyway, Plane and Megan are at the top of the charts. But here's the key thing about the charts this week. Every single one of the top 10 VOD charts are theatrical release movies except for one. Let's go over to the classroom here for a second. Take a look at this. The number one thing, now this is the Google Play Store charts. Uh, the one, the iTunes chart is remarkably similar to this one as well. A couple things maybe switch a place or two, but Megan is the number one film. That's a 1999 VOD. At number two this week is playing a theatrical film in 1999. At number three is Puss in Boots, a theatrical film charging 25 bucks. For VOD, but hey, people are getting it. Now, at number four is the one that did not have a theatrical release. I mean, it had like a 65 theater, super minimal theatrical release. 
Uh, it's the Anna Kendrick movie, Alice Darling. So that's the one film that did not get a proper theatrical release that is on the VOD charts at all. After that, at number five was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. At number six was Top Gun Maverick. At number seven, Triangle Sadness, Black Adam, Ticket to Paradise, and The Woman King, all theatrical and theatrically released films. So once again, it seems like we saw Disney and Netflix going, huh, we put the movies out in theaters first, and then we go streaming, and our streaming numbers are bigger. It looks like, Rob, that is also translating over to VOD that, hey, the key to your movie being successful on digital well, the key to digital success is to have it be a theatrical release first. And Rob, like numbers like this, we're seeing all top 10 spots with the exception of one taking those spots. I think that says a lot. How do you interpret these numbers? Well, I mean, I think these movies both, I, I look at Megan and Plane as kind of in the same boat in the sense that they were genre films, one's horror, one's action. And they're movies that I think people really wanted to see. And, and it's like they were theatrical, so they had the benefit of being theatrical. So immediately, because they're theatrical, they're given a certain cachet. These are theatrical movies. But you know what? If you wanted to go see Megan, for instance, uh, again, going out, buying tickets, buying refreshments, parking, whatever, is a lot more than 20, 20 bucks. And, and I think that the people that went to Megan, Megan was a hit. People here, it's a hit. Plane did well. I mean, it was a, a smash hit, but it did well. I want to see Plane. I didn't get out to the theater and see it, but it's worth it to me. I would either just buy the, because I like those Gerard Butler. I have all the has fallen movies on disc. Right. And I I mean, I love Gerard Butler in these movies, just like I'll I'll watch most of Liam Neeson's action films. The Liam Neeson's? I love the, the Liam Neeson's. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that these films, again, John, when they're in theaters, that's the anointment that they're worthy of being in a theater. And I think everybody knows, consumers know that if a movie's in a theater, it was worthy of making it to a theater because so many movies don't these days. So it does not surprise me that when you don't get to a theater, you know 20 bucks is still a bargain to get a, it's like going to a movie, but cheaper because you're at home and two tickets for a movie are going to cost you more than 20 bucks. So if you have a family of four, and you all wanted to go see Plane, you know, and, and your home, everybody kicks in five bucks. That's a bargain. So that's why it's Megan and Plane are at the top of those charts. I mean, once again, theatrical adds value. And so so let's, let me ask you this question. What are the chances that Megan or Plane are in the top two streaming charts had they not been released theatrically? Not zero. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Zero. I, I would go zero as well. But because nobody would have known about them. You know, what they don't understand is a theatrical marketing campaign, especially on the internet now and on television, that marketing campaign works. That's why marketing's expensive. Everyone knew that Megan existed. If it was a direct-to-video movie, a VOD movie or something, people wouldn't know what it was. I mean, it would just be a name on a on a on a on a list. Why would somebody well it's why why do they use a number instead of the E? Megan. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, oh, look at that. I mean, there's that's the only thing that you would look at. You wouldn't even know what Megan was about. That I wouldn't maybe it's just you met somebody over the internet. I gotta watch that again. I really did enjoy Megan. I had a lot of fun with it. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about these numbers? Like these streaming VOD numbers now, like the entire top ten list, with the exception of one, uh, and who doesn't love Anna Kendrick? 
uh, are all theatrically released films. We're seeing it repeating itself on Disney Plus, Netflix, other platforms as well. That when they put the movies out in theaters first, they do even better later when it comes to streaming. Anyway, how do you interpret these numbers? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to a second main topic here, shall we? And that one is this. Don't know if you heard, but on Sunday, there was this little event known as the Superb Owl. The Super Bowl was this week. Thrilling game. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs MVP, the referees, uh, certainly came in and, and helped them out. Uh, they played a magnificent game. They played a, it, was a, it was a thrilling game. It was a thrilling it was a, game. I mean, isn't that what we want? That's Super exactly Bowl? what you want. Great game. Two really good fantastic But... Eagles loved how it ended up too. Every, it's exactly what everybody oh, yeah, the wanted. Eagles, yeah, with the maybe the exception of the Eagles, who maybe were not as happy with the ending of it. But <laughs> this thing now, I one of the reasons when people ask me what's the thing I why do I love sports so much it, to me is because as as a movie lover, as a TV lover, sports is real life, real drama. Like you look at the Super Bowl, look at the storylines, the hotshot MVP of the young hotshot MVP of the league, Patrick Mahomes, kind of a busted up foot a little bit he's working on a buzz he's gonna be able to deliver in the big game you got the thing at the kelsey brothers i mean there's a movie right there you got the 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 superstar on one kelsey brother on the one team a superstar kelsey brother on the other and they're meeting each other in the super bowl there's a movie right there you got another young how hot was that shot. family dinner uh, yeah that one was probably pretty good you got on the other side another young hotshot quarterback who just a couple of years earlier was the superstar of his college team alabama took them to the national championship game and got benched at halftime. And they brought in some backup who then won the national championship for him. And now he's in the NFL and he has a chance for redemption in the Super Bowl. Real life movie, television show drama. And guess what? It's never lost some people. Some people wonder why can they charge $7 million for a 30-second spot? It's because of this. The Super Bowl this weekend became the third, according to the report, became the third biggest television broadcast in history. The third biggest television broadcast in history was this thing with a number of 113 million viewers. Now let's go over to the classroom for a second. So the number three biggest broadcast in history... The Eagles versus Chiefs, that's that's pretty good. Well done, Super Bowl. Well done. Well, what was the second biggest broadcast in television history? Well, as it turns out, that was also a Super Bowl. It was the 2017 Super Bowl, Patriots versus Falcons, with the biggest comeback in, in playoff Super Bowl history. That game was insane. I still remember watching that game. Okay, well, that's the second biggest broadcast. Well, what was the number one broadcast of all time? Surprise, surprise, it was also a Super Bowl. Uh, and again, it was uh, Tom Brady's Patriots versus the Seahawks. Of course with that, it was. Oh, with that last-second goal line. Why do you have to bring that up? Play Why? with 114.4 million viewers. I bring this up do you have to? because as television, <laughs> you know, we talk about TV around here. These are the three most-watched television broadcasts of all time, or what they call television programming of all time. And when you ask the questions, like, how come these movies, like we had a bunch of movie trailers, bunch of movie previews, but they're paying top, top, top premium dollar 
seven million dollars. Now remember, a lot of movies will have like a twenty, thirty million dollar marketing budget. You're literally talking about spending nearly a third of your entire marketing budget for one thirty second spot. These numbers are why. That's why. They're spending so much money to put these movie trailers on because this thing has the most eyeballs on it than anything you can possibly have in North America. These are the numbers that kind of prove that. Anyway, Rob, you're checking out. The, these are astronomical, these things. But what's your interpretation of it? Well, if you want to get to the Super Bowl, you should name your team after a bird. That's that's clear. That much is absolutely clear. I mean, a falcon, a seahawk, and an eagle. So <laughs> get that's, in there. you know, look, I think that... that um, and all of them lost. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> but they got there. But they got they there. Got I there. mean, that's that's the important thing. Um, and two of those people were defeated by Patriots. And, you know, yeah. I'm always, I've always been a Patriot myself. I hate the team, but I've always been a Patriot. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that, look, one of the great things about the Super Bowl is it is uniquely this American... I mean... Uh, American football embodies so much of what America is as a nation. And and whether you love football, it's the culmination of the, of the season. Like you said, real drama. The teams that are in the Super Bowl had their ups, their downs. They fought their way to the top. They clawed in the case of birds. And if they brought their muskets in, in the case of the Patriots, they fought their way to the top. Like you said, real drama. But it's become an event. I mean, to the point where even the commercials are celebrated. I mean, you're waiting yeah, to see. Of, I, how many people do you know that literally see iTunes and watch Super Bowl to watch the commercials? I mean, it's well, crazy. I watched the Super Bowl so I could watch Ben Affleck working <laughs> at Dunkin' Donuts. That was pretty funny. I mean, <laughs> you know, or, or or Grease being sung by John Travolta again for a T-Mobile ad. You know, there was there was I had um, uh, Elizabeth's aunt. She said she, she we had dinner Sunday night. And she goes, I think I think that's my last Super Bowl. You know, she's a little older. She said, I think because I really didn't understand any of the commercials anymore. And I thought that was hilarious because she didn't understand any of the pop culture references. But I, I mean, I think that's it, there's something for everybody now. And it's just we love our get togethers and it's a fun day. Friends, family, you get together. There's really no downside to the Super Bowl unless you, you know, are an Eagles or a, a flying bird fan, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's just fun. It's 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 America, man. It's America, and and what and the Rihanna performing, pregnant Rihanna. By the way, how great coming was the out! Oh my God, incredible! Yeah. You know, and and by the way, I got to give it to my man Prince. Maybe the greatest Super Bowl performance ever. I mean, only Prince could call God and have him rain on the halftime show, so Prince could play Purple Rain in the rain at the Super Bowl. Come on, that was impressive. That was a flex. That's what that was a that. flex. That was a man. flex by Prince. Of course, then yeah. he got called home too early. No All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about that? Uh, the Super Bowl this weekend is the number three broadcast in history, only behind other Super Bowl broadcasts. And this is why, like a lot of television and movies, why more of them don't go out there and advertise on because it is such a huge price tag, but that's why the price tag is so high for those movie trailers. Anyway, guys, whatever you guys think, by the way, that's why a lot of people are, why are they just showing the 30 seconds? Because if they showed the two-minute... It would be what? A $28 million, $28 million yeah. price tag to play the entire trailer. Anyway, whatever you guys think about that, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into on to another uh, topic here, shall we? And that one is this. You know, we're talking a little bit earlier about my man, Henry Cavill, the greatest Superman of all time. Well, he's moving on to other things now, and we've known for a while that he's doing a movie with 
a director I love, Guy Ritchie, who did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. I love Snatch is one of my top 20 all-time favorite movies. I, I quote that movie all the time. I love that movie passionately. I thought he did a really good job with his Sherlock Holmes franchise. And then out of nowhere recently, well, The Gentleman was also fantastic. I loved The Gentleman. And then I didn't think he was a good selection to direct Aladdin. I love Guy Ritchie, but I, that didn't seem like a good fit to do the live. And the live action Aladdin was delightful. It was wonderful. Not as good as the original animated one, of course not, but it was fantastic. So Henry Cavill partnering up with Guy Ritchie to do this like World War espionage thriller kind of thing. Love it. Well, we got some more information about it, including when this thing is coming out. Because according to reports now, Guy Ritchie and Henry Cavill's movie has a title now, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, uh, which is kind of similar to that comic book series. I, I, I did a little bit of work on that movie called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, starring, and I never know how to pronounce her name, Isa Gonzalez? Is it pronounced Isa? I think so. Anyway, I really like her. She was just in that terrible movie, a Ambulance. Might be Isa. Is it Isa? I don't know. I, 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 her name is one I've read a thousand uh, times, so I've never e heard it said. Isa. But she was really good in Ambulance, even though I didn't like the movie at all. And I absolutely love her. Love her, love her, love her in... Um, uh, why did I just... A Baby Driver. Mm -hmm. Loved her in Baby Driver. She's absolutely fantastic in that. Uh, she even had a bit of a role in uh, Elite Battle Angel. She's she's terrific. And you got another one of my guys, Henry Golding, who became a global star with Crazy Rich Asians. But was, The Gentleman, we saw it together with Guy Ritchie, dude. He's so good in The Gentleman. So good. But And then, oh man, I felt so bad for him because he did everything he could in that Snake Eyes movie. He did everything he could, but that was just a rotten movie, and, and there's nothing he could do to save it. But also, he was in that one with uh, Anna Kendrick and um, Blake Lively, who is, of course, Ryan Reynolds' wife. They just, mm -hmm. Again, congratulations to them on having their fourth child. Uh, he was in that uh, movie with them called A Simple Favor, which I just absolutely love. You know, that was a movie I wouldn't have watched unless you had sung its praises. Because you were you loved that movie. You I talked was about it incessantly. So surprised by it. and I only saw I didn't even think the trailers looked good. I only saw it because I really like Anna Kendrick. I did too. I, I love Henry Golding. And I just think Blake Lively is a very underrated actress. I think she's terrific. So I, I went to check it out, but I didn't expect it to be very good. It's a wonderful movie. And I'm glad it's getting a sequel. So that is something I'm really excited about. At any rate, so now we got a title, but we also found it's gonna come out in 2024. So we got a little bit of a title for it. And we've got a little bit of uh, an explanation or synopsis, if you will, about what this thing is even going to be about. And you can ch check over, let's go over to the class or uh, my screen there for a second. And it's described as this. The ministry is billed as an outrageous true story. Um, all second is, is, I think the screen, there oh no, go. there it is. Okay. The ministry is billed as an outrageous true story about UK Prime Minister Winston Churchill's and James Bond author Ian Fleming's secret World War II combat organization. As per the synopsis, this clandestine squad's unconventional and entirely ungentlemanly fighting techniques against the Nazis significantly changed the course of the war and gave birth to the modern black ops unit. You know, I read that and it sounds a little bit like Argo. 
in in that sense that Winston Churchill and Ian Fleming, the James Bond creator, got together to make this elite fighting unit. You put in, you got Guy Ritchie sensibilities. You put in a Henry Cavill in that with a Henry Gold. Listen, I I don't have a most anticipated of 2024 list yet, but I will tell you right now, this movie will be on it. And it starts shooting this Monday. I'm so excited for this. Rob, you heard all the details about this. What do you think? Well, look, I'm a huge fan of Winston Churchill in World War II. His five-volume history of World War II is essential reading for anybody, I think. Um, dude, this movie sounds dope. I can't. I mean, this movie is so in my wheelhouse, so up my alley. And I'm sure the tone of it, I mean, you can make a very serious look at this, but it's Guy Ritchie, so it's going to be wildly the cinematic technique. It's going to be wildly the entertaining. The pace is going to be very high. I can't wait. And, and you know, Christopher Lee was in this organization, the act actor, yes. you know, and I, I I can't wait to see this. And and hopefully, I mean, I can't imagine a better cast and a better director. Did he also write the script? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't, know. <laughs> don't, don't laugh. Uh. <laughs> also, also, let me bring up a Guy Ritchie film, the King Arthur. I don't care what anybody else says. That, I like that King yeah, Arthur that movie. Yeah, that movie is so cool. <laughs> well, since you brought Blake Lively, my Valentine's Day pick for all of you is The Age of Adeline that She's stars really Blake good Lively. It is such a great movie. Uh, what that has to do with Guy Ritchie's movie, <laughs> Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, I don't know. But it's always good to bring up Blake Lively. Yeah. Anyway, guys, question is for you. We got a title. We got a release, at least here. It's gonna be, I think they said sometime mid-2024. Start shooting this Monday. We got a cast lineup. We got a synopsis for this thing. I'll tell you what. I am, granted, I'm a big Henry Cavill guy, so maybe I'm a little bit predisposed. But I'm telling you, you even take Henry Cavill's name out of this. This, to me, sounds fantastic. I cannot wait to see this. How do you guys feel about it? Maybe you think it's boring. Maybe it doesn't sound like your kind of movie. Maybe you're as excited as I am. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to another main topic here, shall we? And that one is this. One of the movies coming up, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but in March, is John Wick Chapter 4. This is a franchise that, I mean, shocked everybody. Everybody forgets. It's, it's a lot like the Robert Downey Jr. thing. Everybody forgets today that before Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s name was Mud. I mean, nobody really cared. Um, he wasn't somebody that studios wanted to work with. He had kind of sabotaged his own career twice uh, leading up to that. But John Favreau was like, you know what? He's Tony Stark. He, let me have him. Let me have him. And the studio finally relented. said, okay, he, he can be your Tony Stark. And, and now he's a big major star. And we all forget about that, that before that. We all forget that Keanu Reeves kind of had a similar path, but but not because of any self-sabotage, like in the case of Robert Downey Jr., the problems he had overcome. But like Keanu Reeves was a big star and then kind of became obscure. Nobody kind of cared. And then Matrix came out. And all of a sudden, Keanu Reeves is a big star again. But then again, he faded away to obscurity. Nobody really cared. He did a bunch of these smaller movies that nobody watched and whatever. And then came this new one called John Wick that only put out its first trailer 30 days before the movie came out and not a lot of people paid attention to it, but it captured everybody's imaginations. Gun Fu became a real thing and Keanu Reeves became a superstar again as a result of this movie. And then came two and three has been my favorite of the bunch so far. I loved part three. I mean, I got some issues with it, but the good stuff about it was so great. It's amazing. Chapter four is now coming. 
And hold on to your hats, but apparently the runtime is now being reported, and it sounds like John Cha- John Wick Chapter 4 is going to be close to three hours. Ew. Two- <laughs> that, that does not sit well with Ray. That does not sit well with Ray. Come but on, apparently dude. John Wick Chapter 4 is going to come in at two hours and 49 minutes. Just 11 minutes shy of the three-hour mark and 20 minutes longer than the next longest installment of the John Wick franchise. So, I listen, I got to say, my initial reaction to this is one of a little bit of apprehension. <laughs> because the way John Wick movies move and, and the way they unfold and stuff like that, I don't know that those lend themselves well to a near three-hour movie. They feel more like great movies to like hit hard, hit fast, be effective, get the thrills, get the laughs, get the chills, and then then get out and leave everybody wanting more, right? That kind of seems to have been their pattern. While I I think the third John Wick film is my favorite of the bunch, I did kind of feel the length a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I mean, one half of my brain is like, I love John Wick, so just give me more John Wick. But another part of me feels like this might be getting out of out of its optimal zone. You know, that two hours to two hours and 15 minutes seems to be the optimal zone for something like a John Wick. So, I don't know. Let's see what the filmmakers have in store. Maybe we'll watch this movie and we'll think, you could not have taken a single minute of this out. Or maybe we'll watch and go, yeah, they could have probably shaved 20 minutes. I, I mean, I don't know. So, I'm feeling a little bit mixed about it. Rob, what do you think about this? two-hour and 49-minute runtime report coming out. Well, after the first three in-universe, after the first three John Wick movies, how many people are left on the John Wick Earth to shoot in the head? Not many. I mean, they're camping for three, <laughs> almost a three-hour runtime. This this leads me, though, to believe something about this movie. And again, I have no... I, I have not read the script. I don't know anything about this film <laughs> other than I love the John Wick franchise. You're pushing it, Rob. But I think that the long running time might lend itself to world building. Mm-hmm. One of the really interesting things I've loved about the John Wick franchise is the world of the Continental, the world of the assassins, you know, how there's this code of honor. And if you break the code like John Wick has, there's there's... Price, prices to be paid and the idea that he can clear his name with one last uh, a, a single combat battle against another person we haven't met yet i i think that i mean these these movies border on fantasy i, I mean i mean i mean when i say fantasy yes as many people as he can kill is fantastical but what i mean is the world that he lives in is a heightened reality and and maybe they're leaning into that element of it and i'm I'm looking forward to that. I can't, dude, I can't wait to see this movie because the first John Wick movie I went to see in a theater, you know, didn't know much about it. I was like, it looks cool. I like Keanu Reeves. I had a blast in that theater. That first John Wick movie was one of those things that kind of came out of nowhere. And when you went and sat, I saw it the Saturday it opened and I was sitting in a theater with a bunch of people kind of like me, kind of indifferent. Maybe it's good. By the end of that movie, I man, there was few modern film-going experiences that were more entertaining than that first John Wick movie. And I've liked the other two movies quite a bit as well. So this is a franchise I'm really looking forward to. To me, the summer movie season kicks off kicks off with John Wick 4. I'm stoked, dude. Uh, I'm very excited for it. A little nervous about the runtime, but uh, hey, it's John Wick, so whatever. Let's, let's see how it turns out. Guys, question is for you. How do you feel about this? We're talking about a close to a three-hour runtime. Is that, for a John Wick film, maybe a little bit too long? Will this undermine a little bit? Or is it just like, hey, it's all goodness. Give me more goodness. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below 
and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our next main topic here, shall we? And that one is this. You know, Disney Plus is a major force in the streaming world right now. Of course, very quickly amassed a huge amount of subscribers, basically because it's Disney and the library they have. But they kicked off Disney Plus with one show and pretty much one show for almost an entire year before they started putting out more real content. But And that was The Mandalorian. And right from the end of the first episode, when that damn little hand came out of the basket and freaking Baby Yoda became a thing, Mandalorian became a massive global hit, right? And of course, we've had Mandalorian Season 2, which ended with a great cliffhanger. We had Mandalorian Season 2.5, also known as The Book of Boba Fett, uh, came out as well. All that kind of stuff, but everybody's looking forward to Mandalorian Season 3. But we also have more shows coming out that all seem to be happening in this time frame that Mandalorian happens in, right? We've got the Ahsoka series coming, which... From all reports, sounds like it could have called it Rebels the movie, but it's an, they're calling it an Ahsoka series. We got the Book of Boba Fett that's happening in the same time frame. And apparently, even that new one, Skeleton Crew, that uh, Jude Law is in, apparently that all happens in this time frame as well. And then there was going to be a, there was going to be another one, but then they pulled the plug on it. What was it called? The Unra- Galactic Rangers or Rangers of the Republic? Republic oh, yeah. Rangers? Oh, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, that they ultimately pulled the plug on, but even that one was going to take place in the same time period. Now, because of all that, there's been a lot of speculation and rumors that at some point, what they're really doing here is building up to a massive Mandalorian universe crossover movie where you would have Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Boba Fett, you know, the, whoever the Rangers of the New Republic were going to be, you're going to have whatever. And your ultimate big bad guy was going to be Grand Admiral Thrawn which I think they're, everybody believes they're, they're angling to be the big baddie of Ahsoka and probably might become the big baddie of the entire universe right now in this time frame. Well, according to John Favreau, the likelihood of that may not be high because he was, of course, John Favreau is kind of the main architect of this whole thing that's going on right now. And he's kind of saying, they asked him directly if they think this is something they're going to be doing. And he gave an answer that's not going to thrill a lot of people. Um, he said this when asked about the idea of there being a, a big crossover movie. He said, there's always an opportunity when you have a set of characters and stories that people, uh, that a set of characters and stories that people connect with that you could cross media into different areas. Uh, Marvel does it quite effectively. Of course, he was one of the guys that helped Marvel do that. It's just a matter of where our time should be spent and what the appetite of the audience is. With all these stories we're telling, it definitely is a full-time job just keeping this going with what we are doing now. Television has a much different rhythm and schedule than film does. Basically, in essence, John Favreau is saying, we think we're going to keep things on television. We think we're going to keep doing this thing. Now, look, he doesn't definitively come out and say, no, 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 no movie for you. He didn't come out and definitively say that. And, you know, I think fairly soon we're going to have a new uh, Lucasfilm boss who may want to have all this crossover into a movie, and that will ultimately be their decision. But it sounds like John Favreau's like, look, we're having success because we're doing it this way. And I think we're going to keep it this way. Um, Rob, 
Do you think that ultimately at the end of the day, we're going to get like a Mando universe crossover film? Or do you think they're going to do like John Favreau says, look, it, it's a full time job just doing what we're doing right now. Do you think they're just going to keep it that way? And how would you approach it? Well, I think that they are probably going to have certain characters interact, whether, you know, it's Luke Skywalker showing up on Mando or Boba Fett showing up. Or, or Mando showing up in Boba Fett, I still think they're going to do that kind of a thing. Because, look, these shows were designed specifically for Disney+. Plus. They were designed to drive subscriptions to Disney+, Plus, and I think they're going to stay on Disney+. Plus. I really do. Um, and and making a movie, I don't know. I mean, I think I think this show works. It's, it's, you could make a movie, I guess, but would that movie be like what they did with the defenders on Netflix and put the movie and keep the movie on Disney plus and not release it theatrically maybe, but I could definitely see them making a movie, a star Wars movie set in this era where these characters showed up, but I don't know if they would do a movie that was only designed to be a crossover with these characters. Mm. I could see like grand Admiral Thrawn, I think is a much bigger villain and it's a, a, you could introduce a whole new cadre of Imperial officers along with Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I think, again, Thrawn would be a great foil here, but I don't think that we're going to get a movie. I think if anything, we'll get a crossover series. That would be cool. Yeah, I, I think that's another one that's probably... I, I would probably give that one a higher possibility, yeah. probability than, say, a movie. Although... I think my preference would be a movie. I think I would love to see this on the big screen, but I think you're right. I think the most, because there's precedent for this, right? If you look back at the Marvel Netflix series, right? They had Daredevil, they had Jessica Jones, they had yep. Luke Cage, they had Iron Fist, and then they created a season of television just for all those combined. That's what I said. Yeah, that so Defenders there was precedent thing. for that. I, I think, and it was good. I, you know, I, it wasn't as good as it could have been. But it the was Defenders? Good. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right. Though. It was all right. I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I like seeing the characters get together. I mean, there is, look, crossovers are always fun. They're never not fun for the audience unless they really suck. But I've loved crossovers in comic books. I've loved them in movies. I've loved them in TV shows. I've always loved that. And when they're good, when they're well done, the thing about these shows is already, like, Ahsoka has its her entire backstory in Clone Wars. So these are characters that are already cemented in place. It's not like they're creating a new character. They're giving you characters that have history. So when you put them together, there's more, there's gravitas there. It's not like some brand new character that you don't know. So I think, I mean, and that would be exciting. You know, at a, a Disney Plus event, a Star Wars. I mean, who wouldn't watch that? Yeah, a six-part, because that's what they seem to do. Yeah. Six-part series, yeah. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, I would like to see this on the big, a big crossover like this on the big screen set up over like three or four different se seasons of television. But I don't know. It doesn't sound like that's what John Favreau is going to do. Do you think ultimately they will go that direction? Maybe a crossover season of television. Maybe they just don't do anything. They keep it all separate. How do you guys think this is going to play out? Whatever you think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move on to our final main topic here today, shall we? And that one is this. You know, uh, we are, what, 24, 48 hours away from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania hitting theaters for everybody to see. Now, the initial first reactions came out, and most of them all focused on how great Kang was, right? That Kang was fantastic. Some people thought it was the best Ant-Man one so far. But again, the first reactions, 
you know, none of them calling it one of the best MCU. Like they didn't go too far in saying like the, one of the best MCU movies ever. Never saw any of those in the first reactions. But most of them focusing on how great of a villain Kang is. Well, today is the day that the full review embargo came out and the full review reviews got to come out. And for Ant-Man and the Wasp, the results aren't great. As a matter of fact, if we go over and look at, we can bring up my screen here. Look on Rotten Tomatoes right now with 70 reviews being counted. That's seven zero. Ant-Man and the Wasp has 63%. Now, that is not a terrible score by any stretch of the imagination per se, but if we put this in terms of all-time MCU, this makes it the second worst critically reviewed Rotten Tomato score movie of all time. The only one lower than Ant-Man 63 is a movie that I actually believe is quite good, but yep. that is Eternals. Eternals sits at 47%. The only Marvel film to sit under 50. The next one up is a big jump at Thor Love and Thunder. But right now, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has only a 1% difference between it and Thor Love and Thunder. <laughs> that sits at 64. Above Thor Love and Thunder, we had another Thor film, Thor the Dark World. I think probably maybe the worst or second worst of the Marvel movies. Uh, the Incredible Hulk at 67. Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Get this, the number 26 film. This is how successful the MCU has been. The number 26 film is a 74%. Uh, if we shoot up to the top of the list here, uh, we, we got movies like Black Panther has a 96%. Avengers Endgame has a 94%. Iron Man, 94%. Anyway, so pretty good. Now, also to put it a little bit in perspective, if we want to look compare Ant-Man to like the DC, the other comic book main franchise of films, well... Ant-Man the Wasp currently sits above Suicide Squad, which had a 26%. It sits above Batman and Superman, Donna Justice at 29%. It sits above Black Adam, which had 38%. It sits above Justice League at 39%. It sits above, ah, this shouldn't be true, but it sits above Man of Steel with a 56%. It sits above Wonder Woman 1984 with 54%. And it's only 2% off from Aquaman, uh, with it has a 65. Now, if we go up to the top of the list, we're talking about the number one ranked DCU thing is Peacemaker at 94, uh, Wonder Woman at 93, Shazam at 90. I love Shazam. Uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad at 90%, which means two of the top four DCU critically rated things are both James Gunn things. It's number yeah. one and number four. Then we had the one DCU movie I really don't like which is uh, Birds of Prey, The Fabulous Emancipation, probably good, but it got a 78. Uh, Zack Snyder, the HBO version of Justice League, 71%, and then we get back down to Aquaman. So we were looking at Ant-Man and the Wasp sitting at 63. couple things. One, it is the second worst. Now, right now, there's only 70. We're probably going to get another two to 300 by the end of the day, and we'll see that number go down a bit or go up a bit. We'll see where it ultimately kind of ends up sitting. But as of right now, and remember, it's not seven reviews. It's 70. They're being counted. It is sitting as the second worst critically rated thing. Still at 63, still positive, still better than a lot of DCU movies. But this is probably not what they were hoping to see. They were probably hoping to see this thing in the low 80s, maybe even flirting with the low 90s is probably what they were hoping for. Uh, 63, again, I think it says a lot about the success of the MCU that 
out of 30 movies, your second lowest rated one is still a 63. That's pretty good, but not the kind of good that I think they were hoping to see. Rob, you're seeing these numbers come out right now. What do you think? Well, you know, I read the Holly Reporter review right before we went on the air today. And they it's quite a liked it. Very, very good review. I think the this film has in terms of in terms of the actual critics, I'm gonna be very curious what the viewers, what audience members think. But as far as critics go, this is a very different film than the first two, which are very kind of limited in scope. They were called palate cleansers. They were charming and funny. This film is a full-on fantasy sci-fi epic. It's totally different. And, you know, you're talking about the quantum realm. You're talking about Kang. I think average reviewers that aren't necessarily just any movie reviewer probably looks at this movie with a little bit of, what the hell is this? What is any of this? I mean, the first movie ended in a, in a little girl's bedroom on a toy train set when Ant-Man is fighting uh, the Yellow Jacket, you know, in a fun battle. And it makes sense. This this takes a lot more. You have to be much more steeped in science fiction and comic lore for this movie to mean something. And that, for at least for the critical establishment, is always kind of a turnoff. The more the more comic booky you get in a movie, the less critical response you seem to get. I don't know, man. The the first Avengers movie is very comic booky, but the, but it's and still it's got huge critic reviews. Right, but the thing is, the but it's not set in the quantum realm with crazy creatures and all this wacky. There's like a probability storm in this movie, whatever that is. Doctor you know. Strange: The Multiverse of Madness got in the mid seventies. That's true. That's I mean, true. I'm that's, just saying that. I mean, I'm just offering that as a theory. Mm. Um. Uh, look, the thing about the Avengers, though, the Avengers are like the Knights of the Round Table and the Battle of New York and event. The first Avengers movie is tremendous, you know, and you've got you've got the easy to understand humor, you know, when Hulk punches Thor. I mean, that kind of stuff is crowd pleasing and fun. This the conception of this movie is it's just pretty out there. I mean, and we haven't we haven't and seen, I haven't it, seen yet. it. Yeah, yet, we, have, so, we haven't so seen it yet. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm talking on my it. ass. Yeah, I'm going to be seeing it in 48 hours. I mean, I you know, I really like the Ant-Man franchise. I'm not a big fan. Like, look, it's no big secret. I'm not a big fan of Disney these days, but I still, I really, you know, I, I, that never influences whether I like or not like a movie or a TV show or whatever. If it's good, it's good. And I, I really like the Ant-Man franchise. I love Paul Rudd. I mean, this guy can do no wrong to me. I really like Peyton Reed. I, I've got high hopes for this thing, but again, even, even to me, you know, looking at the marketing for the film, I've been like, this seems like such a departure from the other two Ant-Man yeah. films, the things that really made it so charming. It looks like a big CGI slog. Again, this is just the trailers, though. Yeah. So we'll see when uh, me, Ray, and Ann have a chance to run out on Thursday to, to go and see this thing about how we feel about it. And and hopefully it's, it's better. Than, and again, remember, this 63% is still a decently solid yeah. score uh, for a movie. A lot better than a number of other comic book movies. It says a lot that it's the second worst, and it still has a 63. It's not like it's got a 38 or something like a Black Adam did or whatever. So I, I don't know. We'll we'll see how this number goes up or down over the next 48 hours. I hope it's hours. great. I want this movie to be I great. Wanna, I mean, I go into every movie wanting to love it. So yeah. let's see if that happens or not, if I'm going to come walking out going, ah, well, the Ant-Man run was good. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Ant-Man and the Wasp currently holds the second lowest critic rating for any MCU film. Still not a bad rating per se, no. but 
Uh, I mean, compared to the standard of MCU, not so hot. Anyway, what do you guys think about that? What are your expectations level right now going into the movie? How big or small do you think the opening weekend is going to be? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we are now going to open up the Super Chats and take your live comments and questions. you have a thought, theory, opinion, or question about any of the stuff that we just talked about, go ahead and get ready to fire those in now. Remember, we only keep the Super Chats open for just a couple of minutes, so try to get them in fairly quickly. Now, before we get to answering your questions, we're going to take a second and thank a couple of more sponsors of the John Campus Show, our great friends at Manscaped and my mobile phone service provider, Mint Mobile. Hey guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Manscaped. Breaking news, Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right, they are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using the code Campia for 20% off and free shipping. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. You also get the beard shampoo and conditioner. Because guys, you got to remember that all of your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath. You then cap it off with the beard balm that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three special gifts. A beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code CAMPIA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CAMPIA. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. You guys know I made the switch over to Mint Mobile a while ago. The process couldn't have been easier and I can't believe that I am spending less than a third of what I was spending on one of the other major carriers before. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in minutes with eSIM. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia that's mintmobile.com slash campia cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at manscaped and of course mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campia show okay guys with that down let's get over to the important stuff what you guys have to say. Let's get over to those Super Chats now. Rob, what do we got? Sam Fisher says, I'm more interested in the Jamie Bell starring Fred Astaire biopic because it's a musical that is specifically about his relationship with Ginger Rogers. Yeah, that is going to be one of the big differentiating factors between the two is that that one is really going to be more about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And mm -hmm. I think for some people, that's going to get their attention more. On the glitz part, 
having Paul King directing, starring Tom Holland. That's probably going to get more attention, but uh, that one looks like it could be fascinating as well, for sure. Yeah. All right, what's next? CJ, uh, Mr. 47 says, perfect Valentine trilogy, Blue Valentine, 500 Days of Summer, and A Marriage Story. Y'all are welcome. That's also partially kind of depressing. Yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Very good movies. Yes. Very, very good movies. Don't know that I want to watch those for a romantic Valentine's Day, though. No, you watch it when you're alone. Yes. And yeah, you're... and you're miserable. And maybe you want to feel not so bad about being alone after watching a couple of those. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what's next? Uh, CJ Rebirth says, yeah, Titanic killed DiCaprio. Killed everyone. Not the old lady. She threw the heart into the ocean. I hope at least... Uh, uh, Lewis is in Ant-Man 3? Oh, Lewis is in Ant-Man 3 somehow. I don't think he is. Lewis is not an Ant-Man. I don't, I don't think he's in it at all, which is really unfortunate. Again, and nothing kind of represents to me the the example. Like, Here's an example of how the Ant-Man is just totally changing its tone, right? Because, and I get it. If they're trying to change their tone, then having Luis show up might be, you know, counterproductive to that goal. But Luis kind of represents to me a part of the charm of the first couple of Ant-Man movies yeah. that made me fall in love with them. So it makes me a little bit nervous going into the third. And he was part of the team. You know, Ant-Man yeah. had a team like the Mission Impossible team. Yep. Although maybe if, I mean, no one said this, but like if he had shown up and give us give us the recap, you know, yep. like the life of Scott Lang post Endgame. Yeah. Here's what's happened since the last time we saw it. <laughs> but again, if they're trying to make the tone of this very yeah. different, that might, uh, again, look, I hate the fact that Michael Peña is not in this movie. But maybe once I see the movie, I'll go, yep, that was the right. It would have not worked to have him in there. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. That's true. All right, what's next? Sin Vendetta says, one of my favorite Super Bowl ads was the Crown Royal ad where Dave Grohl shouted out a bunch of Canadians and Canadian invections. Kept hearing good or kept having good Canadian kid constantly going through my mind. Laugh out loud. I don't think I saw that. Ad. I didn't By the see way, Sin Vendetta sends in like a $20 super chat. And I thank you so much. Sin Vendetta. I didn't see that. One. I didn't see this ad. One that focused on Canadians and I didn't what? Okay. Now, now I've got to have some, I got to pull this up as soon as the show's over. Yeah. Cause I got to look this up. He's been making some funny commercials lately too. By he, the way, I love Dave Grohl. Oh yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's becoming a favorite of mine. He's just, the I best. finally did see that little horror film that they did. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't love it. Yeah. So you're 666. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not love it, unfortunately. I was hoping it would be like really super awesome, but I really like him. I'm liking him more and more. All right, what's next? Uh, Sam Fisher says, if, if Cavill is playing Fleming in that Guy Ritchie movie, it only makes a case for him playing James Bond stronger. You know, I never even considered that he might be playing Fleming. I don't think he is, because I don't think they're going to be saying Fleming himself went into action. Right. But it would be funny. Hey, listen, he's still my top pick to be the next James Bond. Again, it would just follow the pattern. He was the runner-up to play Superman and then later got to be Superman. He was the runner-up to Daniel Craig to play James Bond. It would only be appropriate now if he got to be James Bond. Now, now, granted, he is now in his 40s, so they're probably looking to start with a Bond that can be Bond for another 15 years. So yeah. maybe they're probably going to go with somebody in their 30s, but I can always still hope. I would love to see him as, as James Bond. Me too. All right, what's next? Uh, Al Renshaw says, uh, the ship sequel has been greenlit. Yep. It's called Train. <laughs> Would not surprise me. Yeah, they already loud. did that. Listen, I, what was the movie? It, it was, uh, well, Die Hard started this, uh, a trend that was in Hollywood for a bit of the 
space limited action film, right? So you had uh, McLean in a building, right? And then you had, uh, what's the, why am I freezing on a martial arts dude? I'm looking at a Jean-Claude Van Damme and no, sudden death. No, 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 hockey no, rink. No, 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 no. <laughs> the, the, the ship. Uh, um, oh, oh, uh, that was. Um, uh, why am I freezing uh, on the mark? It, it's, it's, you know, Steve Seagal. Steve Seagal. And oh. it was, um, you know, um, the siege. The one under siege. Under siege, yeah. right? On this big, huge ship. Yeah. Then came Wesley Snipes on a plane. Passenger 57. Passenger 57. Always bet on black. Always bet on black. So what you, you, you had this trend in Hollywood where you had these space-confined action films, but the thing started to get... And I used to joke that, you know, what's next? Jean-Claude Van Damme is going to be in a rowboat with two terrorists. You'll never find me. And he's like under the front bench. Like, they just got smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. We'll see. But, but to be fair, plane, they get out of the plane. Yes. And you it's know. a bigger environment. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to get ships. And then you're going to train. And you're going to get... Minivan, an minivan, the movie, plane, train, roller coaster. You know. All right, <laughs> they did that movie. By the oh. way, it's a great movie. I got Don. I got to show you this Jean Claude Van Damme uh, Mentos spoof. It's a, it's, it's, it's from uh, Bloodsport, but it's Mentos. Like they made a commercial. It's oh my great. god, I gotta, I gotta watch show you. that. I gotta watch that. All right, what's next? Uh, Cody Hunt says the only reason I know Fred Astaire is his performance of Cheek to Cheek in the movie Top Hat, which was the movie John Coffee watched in the Green Mile. Oh, I totally forgot about that. I mean, heaven. Listen, I have probably seen. We mentioned a little bit later that him and Ginger Rogers did like ten films together. Admittedly, I've probably seen four of them. Like, so I've, I've not watched the catalog of Fred Astaire, but I mean, I grew, it was like Babe Ruth, right? I never saw Babe Ruth play baseball, but <laughs> right. if you, if you even remotely are interested in sports, you know, the name Babe Ruth sure. and you know, a lot of the records and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I was never a Fred Astaire guy. Obviously he's way before my time, but if you're a movie fan, you know, the name Fred Astaire. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, but I mean, to be fair, you know, he was part of a time I think I, one of his last performances was in the adaptation of Peter Straub's ghost story. That was in like 1980. Mm. You know, he was part of Hollywood in the thirties and the forties and the fifties. And that's, you know, it's a long time ago. All right. What's next? Uh, Reggie Phoenix says Creed three comes out in two weeks. Should we be worried? Tickets aren't on sale. No, why? Why? It's not like it's an embargo. Like they didn't put the tickets on sale. Yeah, must suck. What? If the tickets came on sale three years ago or literally come on sale 24 hours before the movie comes out, what does that mean? It means nothing. I mean, it's not like, and also while Creed is a franchise property, it's not the kind of thing that they sell advanced tickets necessarily to. Well, and let's be honest here. Pull up these numbers, Taylor. Mm -hmm. The box office tolls for Creed and Creed 2. This is not a box office bonanza film franchise. How dare you? But it's true. Like, I like... I like the Creed movies, Ray. You know I like the Creed movies. But, I mean, the reality is these are not blockbuster huge films. Is there some reason why the tickets should should be on sale more than two weeks in advance? I mean, there's nothing, no reason why they couldn't be at the same time. But, but, but again, getting back to the question of should we be worried? Worried about what? I mean, what what does when the tickets go on sale tell us a- at all? Anyway, what are the box office numbers for those two films? So the first Creed's box office worldwide is 173 million, and then the sequel, 214 million. The bigger one, 214 million, 
worldwide total. So it's not as if they got to, you know, oh, we got to handle, we got to have this big leadway time to handle the big influx of tech. Look, the reality is Creed 3 will probably make in the neighborhood, I'm guessing it's going to be the biggest one yet. It's going to make in the neighborhood of $350 million yeah. to $400 million. But I mean, when the tickets go on sale, really ultimately means absolutely nothing. And Michael B. Jordan has been going out on the uh, talk show circuit. He's been very impressive speaking about this film. But it's got to be a little bit frustrating too because you would think that, hey, Jonathan Majors is going to be, this is probably what some mm -hmm. studio guy thought. Jonathan Majors is going to be a hot name right now because he's going to be in the Marvel. He's going to be Kang. We're going to piggyback on that. But I think maybe that strategy has backfired because nobody's talking about Jonathan Majors in Creed 3. They're only talking about Jonathan Majors as Kang. So I'm wondering if they should have separated Creed 3 away from Ant-Man a little bit more. Yeah, I, all I can say is I think it was Jimmy Fallon was was just because he saw the movie and was going off about Jonathan Majors and how incredible. Even even Michael B. Jordan said he doesn't think he's ever seen anybody in better physical condition than Jonathan Majors got into for Creed 3. And I really like the idea, you know, um, Michael B. Jordan told, he says in this interview, that he's an animation freak, a Japanese anime freak, like a huge fan. And in the fight scenes, he put in a lot of, Japanese anime moves, meaning close-ups of fists smashing, you know, coming right into the body, like close-up stuff like Dragon Ball Z or whatever. And I'm like, that's cool because I thought uh, what Ryan Coogler did with Creed 1, those three fight scenes were really incredible. It's long Particularly takes. that first fight scene. Wow. First, yeah, that was crazy. So like one take, right? Yeah, What's the that? one take one. Yeah, the yeah, single takes. And, and the fact that Michael B. Jordan, this is his first time directing – that he brought his love of anime into these fight scenes made me really want to... I'm now looking even more forward to Creed than I was And the reaction's before. been really good. Really They've good. really good, so I'm looking forward to Can't this. Can't wait to see it. All right, what's next? Um, love Daggerborn says, What is your opinion on Wired giving the Hog Hogwarts Legacy game 1 out of 10 because of J.K. Rowling's opinion? I, I think if you are going to review something you review it on its own merits. Anything else, either way, whether it's left, right, centric, whatever, anything else is just agenda pushing. So I, I think it's I, kind of... Look, I would totally respect Wired saying, we don't want to review the game. I respect that. Got no problem with that. That's your prerogative. But if you're going to review the game, review the fucking game. Yeah, that was really low. Like, score. no, no, that that's that's just bullshit. Like, it's, it, it's, it's below them. Uh, it's ridiculous. Now, look, if they reviewed the game and they they gave it a one out of 10 and they legitimately came out and said, no, we really just hated the game. We thought the game was terrible. I got no problem with that. Um, but yeah, if you don't want to review the game, then don't review the game. Uh, dude, I have to say Wired Magazine has been one of my favorite periodicals for three decades. Mine too. I read it religiously. That review is the lowest point that that magazine has hit in its 30 years. Yeah, it's for it's, that it's for that very me. reason. I mean, they're, they're at the cutting edge of technology, and here you have an open sandbox game. You, you're not talking about the developers. You're not talking about the thousands of hours put into that game. And what I was so disappointed in. I mean, literally one of my favorite periodicals, and I just am like, you know what? That is to me could be the very beginning of the end of my interest in Wired magazine. Mm -hmm. Because, like you just said, review the game. Give the give the 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 developers and the people that put all their time into that game. And the if you actually hate it, I got no issue. If you if you actually played the game, 
and you legitimately said, I find this game boring. It has no interest. It's not, it, hey, it's all subjective. If that's what works for you and you gave it a one out of 10 based on that, I have no issues with that. But they straight up admitted yeah. that we're, we're giving it this because of something that has nothing to do with the game then you just disgraced yourself. Yep. And, and so it's, did not just the reviewer, but the entire editorial board of Wired yeah. should never have allowed that. Yeah, if you're not, again, if you don't want to review it for your own reasons, again, I respect that. Don't review it. Say, we refuse to, re to review the game. I respect that. But be, don't be so disingenuous. Well, anyway, we, we need yeah, to move on. We spend more time on this than we should. Uh, All right, what's next? High Ninja 2 said, Hi, Rob. What do you think about 10 cents, the three-body problem? I just finished all 30 episodes. It's a great and accurate adaptation of a great speculative sci-fi story. Uh, Hi, Ninja 2, I'm glad you asked. So for those of you who don't know, The Three-Body Problem is a Hugo Award-winning science fiction novel by a Chinese author, Shen, Shen Li Lu. Uh, Weiss and Benioff, the creators of Game of Thrones, are now adapting it here in America. The Chinese made their own adaptation. It's 30 episodes of the first book. It's available for free on YouTube. I'm six episodes in. It's great. It is so good. If you are a, 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 a hard sci-fi fan, watch it. It's available on the Tencent channel for free on YouTube. And I think all 30 episodes are out now. It's fantastic. But by the way, do yourself a favor and read all three books because they're some of the greatest science fiction you'll ever read. All right, what's Fantastic. next? Um, Vixter5001 says, it's Cameron versus Cameron for all-time box office. Official Titanic back at number three for now. Great to see it at the cinema again. How has it been 25 years? I'm officially old. Great yeah, to so see it in the cinema again. Titanic getting its re-release allowed it to fend off Avatar The Way of Water a little bit. For the nut to maintain the number three spot of all time, had it not been for its re release, and what did it make like three, four, five, six? It's, it's three to six million dollars it made in its re release, which was enough. It wouldn't have held on to its number three spot if it wasn't for that re release. There's like five million dollars between them now. Yeah, it's, it's very slim. It, Avatar The Way of Water will still probably pass it, although its box office run has slowed down a lot, but it, it'll probably still pass it. But uh, yeah, held it off. It's it's Cameron v. Cameron. <laughs> I mean, still, look, which, whichever ends up in the number three spot, whether it's Titanic, pardon me, or Avatar The Way of Water. Disney wins. At the end of the day, three of the top four box office grossing films of all time, three of the top four will be James Cameron's movies. Think about that. Three of the top four of the biggest films in the history of cinema will be from one guy. That's insane. Insane. It's absolutely insane. All right, what's next? Uh, Sam Fisher says, if seeing is believing, I believe we've been seen. That's from the Ted Perfect. Lasso spot. I mean, yeah, again, it's a very, it's a Ted Lassoism. It worked perfectly great in that. Again, that trailer just perfectly embodied why we love this show so much. I loved it. All right, what's next? Uh, Mr. Holbrook says, not sure if you talked about this, but can we talk about how jacked Q has got <laughs> in his latest pick? Man, that picture. Oh, how jacked how you, I thought you said Q. I mean, what is this? No, how jacked Q. Yeah. No, you. How jacked Hugh, Hugh Jackman put out a picture, and it was funny because there was Look a... Look up this picture, Jonathan, if you can. It, Hugh Jackman... Look, one of the big questions going into it, at 54 years old, because Hugh Jackman... 
Look, one of the big reasons Hugh Jackman said he wanted it was time to walk away from Wolverine is that he was literally sick and tired of so much of his life having to be dedicated to working out around the clock and eating three bags of rice with 17 chicken breasts, right? He wanted to get away from it. And a lot of broccoli. Over the last number of years, we've seen him trim down and look like a, it's a very good and shaped man. But now he just puts out this picture. I, Dude. See the, I see the arthritis is kicking in. Yeah, I see. I can see the old age kicking in. This 54-year-old Hugh Jackman with his personal trainer. Look at now, shoulders, bro. I mean, I know. I Those delts are crazy. Anyway, and look, first of all, look at his trainer. Look at his trainer's arms. <laughs> anyway. Best guy so, in Hollywood right there. This, <laughs> this is clearly a guy who did not just start getting ready for Deadpool 3. He is he has been getting ready for Deadpool 3 for a year. Like look, look look all these reports even though the studio said some of them it's all bullshit. When they said, "Oh no, we just we didn't actually have all that story is nonsense. Yeah. That's all BS." He has known he was coming back to play Deadpool 3 for a while. This is a guy, but even though even still, let's say he's been working on getting ready for 8 full months. That's a 54-year-old man who had trimmed down a lot. And he looks like he's ready for for Wolverine fighting shape tomorrow. Wow. I mean, that's that's a dedicated dude right there. All right, what's next? K Major says, I hate watch Velma. I feel dirty. <laughs> hey, hey. That's it. But listen, it's one thing if you want to hate watch an episode, I get it. But the view hours don't lie. People watch this show. And they watch episode after episode after episode. It's not people just checking it in for five minutes to get their look. People are watching this show. It's a big hit for them. So, I mean, I'm not one of them. I don't like the show, but a lot of people do. More power to you. All right, what's next? Uh, My Comic Planet said, here's a thought for you guys to chew on. What if The Flash ends up being far better than any of the James Gunn films? How bad would that be for Gunn and Warner Brothers? Don't laugh. It could happen. Wouldn't be bad for him at all. It would be great for him. Look. James Gunn right now has the number one and the number four highest rated DCU things ever. Uh, Peacemaker is a 94%. So Flash only has 6% it can play with, right? So at most, at the very, let's say Flash comes out and has a 100% Rotten Tomatoes critic rating. It's only going to be 6% higher than the thing and only 10% higher than that. No, listen, I, I, it would be nothing but good for James Gunn, especially we were talking during one of the breaks that even before James Gunn came in, the flash was kind of designed to be a reset for, I mean, it was always going to be a reset for the DCU. Yes. Now, how the DCU was going to reset after flash that remained a question and something they were going to figure out, but the flash was always meant to be a reset for the DCU. And if it comes out and is absolutely spectacular, that just helps James Gunn. Uh, there's, Really, nowhere for it to go as far as being so far superior to everything else. Well, he's got a 94. So, I, I mean, I, I think audiences now, what people don't understand is you have a movie coming out that has Michael Keaton playing Batman, yep. that has Ben Affleck playing Bruce Wayne. All bets are off. We, as film fans and, and comic nerds and all that, make all these speculations. The audience, the general audience, is going to go wherever they take wherever the DC universe takes us. And they're not going to be obsessing over these things. But they're certainly going to like seeing Michael. Uh, look, dude, when Michael Keaton said, I'm Batman, come on. 
That's all. They didn't have to do anything other than that. Yeah. And listen, James Gunn is busting his ass right now trying to make The Flash the most successful DC film of all time. That's right. He's getting out there. He's telling everybody it's one of the greatest, not just one of the greatest DC films ever made. This is a guy who has made billion dollar films for Marvel. And he's coming out and saying, this is one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. He's he's busting his ass to make it as successful as yes. he can. So we'll see. It's it, But it's only good for them. And by the way, an utterly fantastic Flash movie, which we don't know if it is or not. We haven't seen it yet. But an utterly fantastic Flash movie is good for everybody. Yeah, of course. It's good for James Gunn. It's good for DC. It's good for Marvel. It's uh, Kevin Feige talks about this all the time. Like Kevin Feige cheers for DC, especially now that his buddy James Gunn is running it. But he he's always cheered for DC. He's always been cheering for DC about because a better healthier, more successful DC films means it raises the profile of the whole comic book genre and it's good for everybody. That's why Henry Cavill for so many years says, we want Marvel films to do great because Marvel films doing great means more people will be interested in DC films when they come out. I mean, it's it's a symbiotic relationship in some way. And of course, they're always going to be competitive. Of course, James Gunn wants to outdo his buddy Kevin Feige. Of course he does. But a good Flash film, a fantastic Flash film, is simply good for everyone. Yeah. So here's hoping it's, fingers crossed, here's hoping it's good. All right, what's next? Uh, Jim One says, sadly, the MCU is close to jumping the shark for me. Well, for you, that's great. When your franchise were a 63, and it could go a little bit lower, could go a little bit higher, we'll find out. But when your franchise is 30 movies in, and a 63 represents the second worst you've ever had, <laughs> that's I mean, come on, that's stupid. That that's like that's like being an NBA player and a player scoring, I don't know, 23 in a game and saying that's the second lowest point total that player's ever had in their career. It's like, what? How? I like, mean I, it's John, a good day to die hard was the fifth film in the franchise, and look at how that turned out. Yeah. Not so good. Not and, so good. And and by the way, look at the box office too. Like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Nearly made a billion dollars. As as divisive as Thor: Love and Thunder is, it made north of seven hundred million dollars. And Wakanda Forever. And Wakanda Forever made over without its star and without its title character, made over eight hundred million dollars. So, listen, I I may not be a big Disney fan these days, but. When you just sit down and look at the number. Now, that's why I'm glad you said for you. Because, yeah, that's totally legitimate. Totally legitimate. But, I mean, in general, I hear these other people all the time saying, oh, well, DC's going to like, really? Do you know how many filmmakers and studios and franchises would kill to have what Marvel, what you're calling Marvel's decline is? Again, let's, uh, to quote the great American author, the reports of Marvel's demise have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. What's next? Uh, Jim says, oh, I already said that one. Uh, Zijos. Um, hey, crew. Robert mentioned a while back about speaker audio settings and using the music from Gladiator, mm. if I'm correct, as a reference for sound. For movies, what are your recommended audio settings? Now, let me just say something. I was talking about surround sound in general, not just music. Uh, I was speaking that the opening battle of Germania in Gladiator is great to set up your surrounds because of how much activity 
is in the surround channel. Especially when the catapults start going off and mm-hmm. all that kind of Because oh. you hear the catapults start in your rear surrounds and move forward when it launches. It's incredible. The surround mix is People should know when they're conquered. Would, would you, you, Quintus? Quintus? Would I? Such a great scene. It's so uh, good. But, you know, to answer the question in terms of, like, like in my home theater system, I have a sensor that measures the actual sound levels from speaker to speaker. There isn't a setting. You really have to set those up yourself. And there's there's ways to do it. You can buy calibration things. And there's not a, a one single setting to, to do that with, really. All right. So what's next? Uh, My Comic Planet says the consensus from many critics is the second half of Ant-Man turns into bad SNL skit with Kang. Yikes. We all have to pray this doesn't happen to the Avengers films coming or it will be a disaster. I it's funny because I've read the opposite. Me, I, I, me I've read the opposite. I've read a couple of critics who said. You know, the first half of the movie is a little problematic. It has trouble getting into it. It has a little bit of trouble finding its footing. But then in the second half, that's where it kind of starts to redeem itself. So I've read the opposite. But again, that's the thing about movie critics, right? Everybody thinks like the movie that movie critics are some Borg hive mind. They are radically different people from oh, each yes. other with radically different tastes and radically different standards, right? So... I, that's that's a good example. The critics I've read have said, God, the first half is kind of shaky. The second half gets good. You're reading a couple of critics are saying, no, the first half is really good. And then the second half gets shaky. So it really all depends. I have breaking news, guys. Uh-oh. Breaking, breaking news. Hasbro, Marvel Legends, has just revealed the tracksuit mafia figures. Oh, no. <laughs> they, they actually made figures for the tracksuit mafia. Wow. Yeah, they did. Oh my bro. Are you, oh, here come yeah. all the bro you puns pre- again. Oh, no. oh my god. Has bro. Has bro. Has bro. It makes sense. Oh, Taylor with the win over there. The whole time. How did we miss it? It's actually has bro. Has bro. Has bro. Has bro. All right. What's next? Uh Elden Goblin says. I used to hate watch The Walking Dead when it was super popular. That way I could bash it and pick apart the awful writing, dialogue, and logic in every episode in front of my friends who loved it. You sound like a dick. Yeah. You sound like a fun guy to hang around. Here's not, the th- here, you should not, not not a healthy way to live your life, man. Not a healthy way to live your yeah, life. Yeah, see, the thing is, I would say that that your hate watching is you have philosophically the wrong reason to hate watch something. You're yeah. hate watching something to put down what other people love. You have to hate watch something because what you're watching is inherently ridiculous in itself. You can't hate watch something that's good and popular. That means you're just a contrarian. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Kind of sound like. A and by dick. the way, when you hate watch something, you secretly love it. That's I mean, there's something too. to be said for that. Yeah, I'm telling you. All right, I what's love next? Manifest. I, I'll, I, I'll, I won't lie. John D says, "Why doesn't Superman wear a mask in the modern age with face recognition AI? His identity would be matched and deduced easily." Since Clark's name and photo would be in the many databases in the as a U.S. resident, it's look, it's the magic of the glasses, right? But, but let's let's be clear here too with with modern technology, uh, Batman would be instantly identifiable. Yeah, all you'd have to do is get the little thing. Just oh, just from here down, but ninety eight percent likelihood that this is millionaire Playboy Bruce Wayne, or sorry, today it's billionaire Playboy Bruce Wayne. I mean anything. So unless you wore like a full Ant Man mask the whole time. 
but it's the magic of the glasses. I still, I, I watched a clip the other day from Superman and Lois because I didn't watch it much after the beginning of season two. But there's a scene where he finally, I guess he reveals himself to Lana Lang. Like years, years later, you know, he reveals to Lana Lang that he's actually Superman. And she's like, you're a super heavy. And he, he's like, how do you do it? And he pulls out the glasses and puts them on. <laughs> You've been deceiving us all the time. It's like, you know what? You might as well just lean into it. Just lean into it and embrace it and love it. I mean, these characters were created, you know, in the 30s and 40s. Yes. But I think you have to assume, like, in Batman's case, this is not canon, but I am sure he has some kind of tech in his suit that scrambles any kind of surveillance cameras of any kind. Like he's got some kind of an electronic countermeasures so people can't ever get a great look at him. And maybe even Superman uses his heat vision in some way we don't understand where there's a constant something in front of him that he does for this very reason. By the way, one of the greatest jokes ever in any movie regarding that whole Superman thing. It's from one of my all-time favorites, Mystery Men, where the shoveler, yeah. um, uh, oh, uh, Macy, William yeah, H. Macy, yeah. where the shoveler and Ben Affleck is trying to say, listen, Lance is Captain Amazing. <laughs> and the shoveler, William H. Macy goes, we have had this discussion before. Lance wears glasses. Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. How could Captain Amazing fight crime if he couldn't see? It was just like one of the best jokes about that. If you guys haven't watched Mystery Man, you absolutely must. But it was a movie way before its time. Pino Lorber just put it out in 4K and it's beautiful looking. <laughs> Super, Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. How could he fight crime if he couldn't see? All right, what's next? Uh, Cody Hunt says Lamar Johnson is a good Canadian kid. I, I, I will confess, I don't know who Lamar Johnson is. Yeah, I don't. Let me see. I know who Lamar Jackson is, but I, but I don't think he's a good Canadian kid. Uh, anyway, all right. Ray can look that up as we move on. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Vess, a.k.a. Mr. No Days Off, says, What's good, John Campia family? My sister gave birth this morning, so I'm a new uncle. Oh, nice. I'm on cloud nine right now. Always bring on the filthy. Oh, he's what? the guy in Last of Us, the last episode. Henry. Uh, Henry. Oh, oh, really? Henry Burrow. Oh, hey, good Canadian kid. Canadian. I love that. Now it makes me love he the episode even more. He was great, too. I didn't recognize well, That's why we didn't recognize him. I, that was the first time I think I've seen him. I, I will tell you a, a true story. So my sister, Sandy, um, I was somewhere in the U.S. Somewhere. making my documentary called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. No, sorry, sorry, not that one. I, I was doing my first documentary called uh, Prince of Peace, God of War. That was my first documentary I ever did. And I was traveling in the States uh, filming some of the interviews for that documentary. And my sister, my mom informed me my sister was heading to the hospital because she was about to have her first baby. It was my first niece. And I got on a plane, flew in as fast as I could. I wasn't able to get there before she was born. Uh, I wasn't able, because the, the way the flights were, I got there about maybe 24 hours, a little bit less after the baby was born. And I didn't know I broke any rules, but I... So I flew there as fast as I could, met my niece, and I remember being becoming an uncle for the first time. And I, I 
was carrying my niece and I went for a walk around the hospital floor. I stayed on the same floor, but people didn't know where I was. It's like, you absconded with the baby. I, I, was, I was never more than 300 feet from the room. I was never, but I was just, I was just on the same hospital oh, no. floor. Right. And I was just talking. I just talked to my niece for like a good 15, 20 minutes. Just talking to my brand. It is a great feeling when you become an uncle for the first time. Congratulations to you and to your sister, man. All right. What's next? Mike's movie madness says I was going to go see Titanic in theaters today, but being that it's Valentine's Day, I don't need another reminder of my perpetual singleness. Ha, ha, ha. Well, if you, if you want it, at the end of the movie, it really is about perpetual singleness. Actually, if you think about it in many ways, the end of that movie is about perpetual singleness. You know, Jack is floating in the water and she's like, I'm not ready for a long-term commitment. Not a lot of room on this floating piece of wood. I'm good. It's about, and then she stayed, uh, stayed pretty much. I mean, that, to me, the real victim of the movie Titanic, <laughs> not of the actual events of Titanic, but the movie Titanic, the real victim of that movie is a character we never meet. It's whoever the poor jackass was that ultimately married Rose. <laughs> because some poor jackass wasted his life marrying Rose, having a family and all that kind of stuff, when the whole fucking time She's just pining for some guy she had a one-banger, one 24-hour one affair with on a boat Boom. 50 years ago. To me, that dude is the real victim of the movie Titanic. Oh, boy. Anyway, that's just me. All right, what's next? <laughs> Suthius says, I'm going to guess that Fast X is going to be Infinity War. Momoa is going to get Dom's family separated, and he's going to hurt them one by one. And the ones left standing will be Dom, Cena, and Statham. I think you are overestimating the thought process that goes into the making of a Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> well, if it is a two-parter. You know, it's, it's, it's part a 11 coming. Yeah, somebody's got to get them all back. All right, what's next? And that person's Dwayne Johnson. Uh, Corey E. says, hey, John and Rob. What do you guys think about T'Challa Jr. being aged up soon and being a co-protagonist along with Shuri for Black Panther 3? Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, but look, I'm, I'm, look, it might work, and it can get me on board if they do it and it works. They've, they've talked a lot about doing that. But to me, the, the T'Challa character is too important to this universe to not bring back. So I, I thought it was, look, what I thought, they were able to accomplish with Black Panther Wakanda Forever was remarkable given the circumstances. I, I, I thought I what they did, they have one of the best directors in the world, and I thought what they did was remarkable given the circumstances. I still believe it was a mistake not to recast the role. It was, it was a mistake. And I believe that harder after watching the movie. I, I just walked out of the movie. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I, I like Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but I did not love it. But I walked out of it going, now I really feel like they made a mistake. Because there's a lot of movies I see where it's like, I wish they were doing this instead of this. And then I see the movie and I go, you know what? It won me over. That, I mean, you guys know that's happened to me a lot. But I walked out of Black Panther Wakanda Forever more than ever believing, yeah, it was a mistake not to recast. Th this movie needed T'Challa. Not another character who happens to have the same name, but the actual character T'Challa. So they might do that. Um, I wouldn't doubt it if they did that. And maybe it'll work and it'll win me over like a lot of other movies have. But I, I, I still think it was a mistake not to recast. But that's just me. Whatever. All right. What's next? Uh, Cyan10101 says, been listening to his turnoffs 
Oh, oh, Bane listing his turnoffs reminded oh me God. of John always saying, don't use abbreviations <laughs> and add commas when people use super chats. That, that is from the Harley Quinn uh, thing because it's like, what are your turnoffs? And it's like, what was the one main one? When it, uh, well, not, improper grammar. But, but there was one word in particular that people misused. And I'm trying oh. to remember which one it was. Yeah. God damn it. It's not, it's this. How can people not understand? And like, it's really. It's anyways. Like, was it anyways? Anyways. Yes. It's not anyways. And like, I hate when people try to transition. Using, oh my God. <laughs> Bane is at his most Bane in, in this movie. This movie, or this, it's not even a movie. This, this Valentine's Day special is so funny. I mean, but they, they really pushed it. Like they, they pushed its limits a lot and, and like, (laughs) it's not going to work for everybody, but oh my God, I found it incredibly funny. It's so (laughs) funny. Bane is at his most Bane. All right. Anyway, what's next? Uh, Cutter Hale says Henry Cavill and Guy Ritchie team up for another movie. Take my money now, man. Um, Take my money. Uh, Man from Uncle is amazing. Can't wait for this movie. Oh, Most I anticipated for- movie of 2024. Forget about Man from Uncle. I forget. Guy Ritchie directed. Yeah. I totally forgot. I loved Man from Uncle. I did too. It was, I mean, you can obviously never do a sequel now, right. but I was always befuddled how they never did a sequel to that. Like, I understand the first one didn't make a ton of money, no. but it was so well received. It was so great. I really thought they could have turned around and made money if they had done a second one. But, oh my God, yeah, I loved, loved that movie. Speaking of punctuation, I wanted to say Man... From Uncle. No, yes. You know, punctuation is important, kids. Uh, All right, what's Nexus next? Fuel says, what do you guys think Scream 6 will make opening weekend? Taylor Happy. I think <laughs> it's going to make $38 million opening weekend. What did the, the, the last Scream make opening weekend? $30 million opening weekend. And what do you peg in 38? 38. I think that's a good guess. Yeah, yeah that's a good guess. 38, 35 to 40. Plus Ben Ortega, front and center. Yeah, the last one, listen, I thought the last one was really impressive. I'm not a screen guy at all. And I had a good time with that yeah. last one. So I think 35 to 40, Jenny Ortega's got a, a bigger and profile. And this new now. one looks good. And the trailer was good. Yeah. The trailer was really quite good. So yeah, I could see that. All right, what's next? Uh, Wicked Man says, better cop movie, Fargo or The Departed? The Departed. Fargo's great, but The Departed is a... Yeah, and by the way, it's original film, the Asian version known as Infernal Affairs. Uh, but yeah, I'll go The Departed. But Fargo is fantastic. I think so. I, dude, I love The Departed. <laughs> I mean, I, I love it's The Departed. It's so good. It's so good. All right, what's next? Uh, a. Marcella says, John, I know you hate when the Star <laughs> Wars universe is shrinked. But as long as we're in the movie timeline, cameos will happen. I still think Luke will meet Ezra, especially this is the time when he is rebuilding the Jedi. Well, I mean, look. When there is really true narrative purpose for it, yeah. that's fine, right? Let me give you an example of when it's not fine. <laughs> Let's take Mandalorian season one, for example. There was like Luke trying to reassemble Jedi, and there's only a handful of Force users in the galaxy, and Ezra Bridger's out there somewhere. That makes strong narrative purpose and sense. Them going back to Tatooine and Mandalorian season one did not have that. That was pure sugar filled 
fan service for no other brand. Hey, everybody, remember this cantina? Ooh, we've been here before. Like, it's... Like, that's the kind of stuff that I hate. But when there's strong narrative purpose, like Luke maybe coming across in Ezra, to me, that actually makes sense. Yeah. There's a purpose for that. Force users finding each other. Yes, <laughs> especially in that era. Especially in that era. All right, what's next? Walter White Walker says, chances of Michelle Pfeiffer showing up in Flash? Nail. I think so, too, but, man, I'd love it. That would be fun. Yeah. The best Catwoman ever. What if they're married? <laughs> what about oh, Halle Berry? Oh, one? Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer. <gasps> I thought she died in part Okay, two. you won me over. No, 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 She's she doesn't lines. die in that. Yeah, she, she doesn't. Remember at the, the very last shot, you think she dies, and then the very last shot, the camera pans up, duh, 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 and you see the night sky silhouette, and you see on top of the building, you see the Catwoman silhouette stand. You see mm -hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer there. She lives. By the way, what a show-stopping moment that would be. If if Ezra Miller's Flash goes, or they both go to the Flash, the the both Flashes go to the door, opens the door, and it's Michelle Pfeiffer who answers. Oh, no, I won't have as big of a pop if Christian Bale wears to cameo, but I'll tell you, it'll get a big squeal out of yeah, me. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is there as Catwoman, That'd or be or she comes down in some kind of awesome, you know, vaguely dominatrix outfit. Jack like, yeah. What about Jack Nicholson coming back? I haven't heard anyone say that. I don't think it's possible, but could you imagine? No, but I was. Up? But in that universe, he does he die. die. But, no, but, but this I, is a multiverse. Yeah, but it well, seems like they're going to that Michael yeah. Keaton's universe, right? Yeah. And in that universe, the Jack... I never, you know what? I never I wonder, thought about her coming back until just now. Yeah, no, now that I too, you mentioned it. it no, it's our viewer mentioned it. Right? I'm wondering if we're going to see any like joker memorabilia like in the bat cave oh, oh sure. for sure you know yeah i think for sure all right what's next um uh blatino blatino boy sends in a 20 dollars thank chat. you man Tino boy hi john <laughs> hi john and crew i've started playing hogwarts legacy and it's fun but i was thinking miss rowling created a whole world around hogwarts and witchcraft and wizardry but why are we still stuck in the uk this is one of three. Well, he ran through, out of time. So. Didn't get the oh. rest of it. No, um, I, I think because we were talking about this the other day. One viewer wrote in and said, hey, do you think maybe if they did new Harry Potter Wizarding World, it's called Wizarding World stuff, um, that did involve the three main characters from the core movies, but was centered at Hogwarts, could that be more successful than, say, Fantastic Beasts? And I 100% believe yes. I think the reason they're sticking there is because that's the one everybody knows. Like we, yeah. that the emotional heartstone of that world is Hogwarts there. That's why I think the game is doing so ludicrously well. That's why I think, I, I think some of the best parts of the Fantastic Beast stuff is when in the third film, they actually go to Hogwarts. Like I remember being in the theater when you, they go to Hogwarts, like the whole theater kind of erupted because I think, the Hogwarts itself is kind of like a primary character. It's the Enterprise. It's the Starship yeah, Enterprise. in many ways it is. I, I just don't think you can go far away from it. I think that is the heart and the core of what it is, Hogwarts and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's the other schools, but I don't think there would be much interest in getting departing so much from that lore. I, I just don't think the audience would be as into it. That's just me. I, I could be way wrong about that. I think I, you're that, right, though. I mean, you know, I I do think Hogwarts, call it the Enterprise, call it the Millennium Falcon, call it what you want. It is as much a part of the DNA as the Harry Potter franchise as the characters are. Yeah, I agree. 
All right, and then I think we just have some uh, support. Rami Kieran sends in the super chat. Thank you, Rami Kieran. And guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those super chats, number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Uh, don't forget, guys, a little bit later today at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time, me, Robert, will be doing our Last of Us Episode 5 open spoiler discussion a little bit late, but hey, better late than never. We hope you guys will come back and join us for that. And of course, remember, guys, make sure you subscribe to our channel, click the thumbs up button, leave a comment down below. All that stuff helps out our videos and helps spread our channel and our videos to an even wider audience. So thank you to everybody who does that. And make sure you come back and join us tomorrow for the next episode of The John Campia Show. All right, guys, for everybody in the room, Writer, director, producer, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Ray Aura's back there. <laughs> Sitting over there running the show today, Jonathan Voico. Taylor Gonzalez has been helping us out. And a big thank you to you guys. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.